Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie here and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week I'm talking to broadcaster and lecturer Karen Moore. Can you just start by um, giving me your name and your current job title? My name is Karen Morgan. Most people know me as Cammy. Uh, my current job title is uh, lecturer in broadcast journalism at Stirling University in Scotland. Is this the first time you've worked in Scotland? It is, I. <laughs> <laughs> you're picking up the language already. I am, slowly but surely. Awesome. So, you see, we're sitting in your office at uh, the University of Stirling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just new. We both started on the same day, actually, yes, just a few months did. ago. Um, but you're enjoying it, and the, you know, you're on a beautiful campus. You've probably just met some students as well. Yes, so this how, is my first week. Um, yeah, so um, I arrived in Scotland from Nottingham a couple of weeks ago. We're on our first term, so just started doing seminars and lectures this week. It's a stunning campus, so really, yeah, there's a lot of work to do, but it's just a great environment. Students are pretty on board. Staff are super friendly, super helpful. So, yeah, all good so far. You've been a lecturer, though, for... For some time, though, this isn't your first lecturing job or teaching no, job, is it? No, no, no. Um, in between working um, as a freelance broadcast journalist, I've taught at Nottingham Trent University, um, and I've also taught in uh, FE. So yeah, I've got a little bit of experience in teaching. Awesome. So if we can, if we can just track back to when you know you were a wee girl. Uh, you were born in London. Mm-hmm. Am I right to say that you moved to Midlands? What what kind of age were you when you moved? Oh, I was a baby when my okay. parents moved. So so really, um, most of uh, my upbringing, schooling, was in just on the outskirts of Wolverhampton. Okay. Um, wonderful place it is. And yeah, so uh, moved to Wolverhampton when I was pretty uh, young. Did my schooling there. And then decided kind of what I wanted to do as a career when I was probably about eight, nine, ten. Yeah. So yeah. what and what? what what was that? And what what was the inspiration behind it? Um, well, I used to watch. My dad watches every news program from the morning to the night, and my mum used to, you know, laugh at him. She said, "Why are you watching the same news program all day?" But I think I got in that habit watching with my dad and getting into discussions about politics and stuff. And my parents came here during the Windrush, so okay. there was a lot of issues around that in terms of inequality, etc. Um, and and growing up there was a lot of uh, I mean Margaret Thatcher's days that that kind of era so um, there was a lot going on in in the news I got interested in history and current affairs so when I was probably about eight or nine um, a lot of stories that I'd write for history were kind of uh, research based about history and by the time I was ten I was I said to my my parents I really want to be a news presenter or a news reporter and that Trevor MacDonald was had a huge part to play in that, I guess, and Moira Stewart for, for people who are over a certain age. I'm sounding old now. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I kind of wanted to get into journalism, kind of just to, to change the status quo and to raise the issues that I didn't felt were being, you know, shown or highlighted in the news, even from quite a young age. But that's because my dad did engage me quite a lot. He was very heavily into politics, local politicians and, and the educational um, aspect of things. So I kind of think that influenced me quite a bit. And you can trace that back as far back as, like, homework and essays yeah. for, for school yeah, and things. Yeah, yeah, lots on Will, William Wilberforce and lots. It was just, it, the, I, I enjoyed history very much and there was a lot of things that I learned. I just thought, oh, my God, the inequality that was happening here and so much that people don't seem to know about. So a lot of my essays from, from the very first year of secondary school, um, my teachers were quite 
surprised at the subjects that I was interested in talking about and I thought it was perfectly normal mm. um, so so it was quite it was quite interesting looking back now as an adult mm. how I was then and I was maybe a little bit geeky um, back then and, and wanted to read newspapers and and debating stuff that I didn't agree with not even having all the knowledge but mm-hmm. just perspectives and values yeah yeah um, so yeah it was really about wanting to create a change and change the status quo and have mm. a real positive influence mm. And I've kind of grown um, in that way and kind of been a a, a kind of a pioneer for um, survivors of domestic violence, very much into um, education for minorities. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and even some of the a lot of the features that I'd suggested when I worked as a broadcast journalist, we'll talk about that later, but they were very much human interest. So human trafficking, Mm -hmm. forced marriage. Um, immigration I asked to do a series of features on immigration so it's kind of I am kind of maybe I'd be described as a humanitarian um, in some ways and that kind of just fits in with journalism Mm -hmm. well yeah arguably so but yeah for me it did Mm -hmm. and I guess with your with your parents arriving as as immigrants to the country that probably gave you maybe a different perspective on things than a lot of the people that you went to school with Absolutely, because I, what I kind of noticed, I'm from England, um, and what I noticed from a young age, my parents sharing their experiences with, with me and why they came here, and it was obviously the Windrush was post-World War Two, and they were invited to England to rebuild the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a lot of Brits or English people weren't aware that Jamaica was colonised years before and was under British rule. Mm-hmm. So the agriculture, the economy, they didn't really have any control there. Um, so uh, the for me, it was just hearing the story and seeing how they were treated when they arrived here. Mm. It was just just astounding to me, and a lot of British and English people because it wasn't taught in history. Again, mm-hmm. it's about informing people what they yeah. don't actually know about. Mm-hmm. So I guess I still have that kind of affinity with migrants who come here. Mm-hmm. Different circumstances, but there are a lot of genuine cases, and I think we give a lot of them a really hard time unnecessarily. And you, you, you told me just before we, we started, you used to watch, obviously you were interested in news, but you, you used to watch for, for, for another reason as well. <laughs> I did, I did. When um, I, I grew up with a lisp, um, and I have two sisters, I'm the youngest of two, and they always used to say, could you say fishes, because they loved to, to right. take the mickey out of me. But when I really decided that I wanted to read the news and report, my middle sister said, but you're not going to be able to read the news with a lisp. Mm-hmm. And I thought... Oh my God, I won't. Mm. So um, I must have been about nine and I, I said to my dad, I want to get rid of my lisp. And he was saying, well, how are we going to do that? So I started watching Trevor MacDonald and back then we had videos. Mm-hmm. So I'd video him and go and just basically rewind it back and repeat what he'd said without using my tongue pushing through my teeth. So I did that for a year wow. and managed to lose my lisp. Wow. So uh, just keep fixed yourself almost yeah to... yeah so that so I lost my list by, by the time I was 10 mm-hmm. and and not at the time I just thought oh I want to lose this or I'll do it but when I tell people that now they're like how did you how did you even manage to do that without a speech therapist but it just goes to show we don't all need we just need a bit of willpower sometimes yeah. um so yeah so I think that was the first real commitment to want to, to journalism, I guess, losing the lisp. Yeah, and that probably shows the sort of determination that you must have to succeed. I hope so. I hope mm. so. Um, yeah, it's 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 been a it's been a journey. Yeah. It's been a journey for real. It has it really has. Yeah. So you leave school um, in Wolverhampton. It kind of seventeen eighteen. Yeah. Go to university straight to university. Left or? school um, when I was sixteen um, and um, went to college. Did A levels in sociology and psychology. 
Um, then moved to London for a little while, couldn't decide what I wanted to do in terms of whether I wanted to study in London or, or in the Midlands. Um, and initially, um, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And my dad had studied social work and I just wanted to earn some money for a bit. And I thought, journalism's quite a serious job. Let me just do something that I thought would be easier. And it's still kind of a profession the way you can create change and help people. Mm-hmm. So I studied social work for two years and realized I had no power at all to change anything in that job, the policies, mm-hmm. the procedures, the regulations. Um, and so when I was due to go my third year, I transferred from uh, doing the diploma in social work straight to Nottingham University in the second year of a degree program, mm-hmm. um, which had media modules. But I also wanted to do something that incorporated social and cultural studies. So I didn't go for a straight media degree. Um, and during my time at university, um, uh, from the first year, I just badgered TV companies, radio stations, newsrooms, emailed them, badgered them, really badgered them, um, until they got sick of Termination, me. <laughs> they got sick of me, and they, I, they got my first, the first gig I got um, in Nottingham. They, they, they it was a, there was a big studio in Lenton there, and they did Crossroads there. They did peak practice there. There was ITV newsroom there. They did Carlton Food Network, so they invited me to do a work experience on Carlton Food Network. And Ruth, who's now married to Eamon, couldn't make Carlton Food Network, so they asked me to cover for her. So that was my first kind of mini presenting gig, and there was no auto cue. Right. Um, so I did that on work experience, and then uh, they invited me back. Um, I think it was the, the Christmas of my first year at uni to do some work experience on Central Weekend, which is a current affairs program. Um, and then after that, I managed to get different gigs every holiday throughout my three years. Okay. So it really, really helped me and put me in good stead for when I'd left university. Because you, you stayed, obviously, after your BA honours, you stayed in Nottingham. I did. To train in a postgraduate diploma in print journalism. Yes, I did. Well, interestingly, I get on Andrew Fox, who was my boss on Central Weekend and another documentary called 30 Minutes. These are, these are programmes that I did work experience on. And I wanted to go and do broadcast journalism because I wanted to present the news and be a reporter. And Andrew said to me, in the industry, uh, you are more likely to have credibility if you do a print journalism course because the writing is far more important than the camera skills and the editing. You can learn that anywhere. Yeah. And I was arguing with him. I was saying, but no, but then I won't know anything. I'll just know how to write. I won't know how to... And he said, no, trust me. So, um, so, so yeah, I, I did. And uh, so I did a postgrad. Uh, in print journalism at Nottingham Trent University um, and while I was there continued to contact people I'd networked with when I was doing my um, degree and um, Mike Blair who was the editor of ITV Regional News offered me a traineeship as a trainee presenter before I'd finished the postgrad um, and it was quite ironic because I didn't feel ready to do the job so I went and worked in radio for free for a little bit, because mm-hmm. um, if you fluff it on radio, it's not too bad. So it's a good kind of, yeah. it's a good learning ground. Um, and then I went to approach him again. I had an idea in the interim of doing radio to do um, a four-part series on uh, the Windrush and look at three different three generations. Um, and I met a guy called Eric Irons, who had been the first black magistrate in the UK. He'd been the first black man to marry a white Polish woman in the East Midlands. Mm. Um, and when he came here, his stories were quite traumatic. And his grandchildren were uh, psychotherapists and lawyers. So it was looking at the three generations. So I had this idea, too scared to pitch it to the BBC because I hadn't done any work with the BBC. And a friend of mine, 
uh, told him about the idea. He phoned up Sally Bowman, who was the editor, she still is, um, at BBC's Midlands, and said, we've got a great idea for the Windrush, can we come in and talk to you? And the day before we went, he said, I've managed to get you an appointment, so you've got it tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Awesome. Well, it wasn't, because I was, like, yeah. petrified. <laughs> but, um, Straight out of your comfort zone. Yeah, it really was. So I went and pitched it to them. They said, we love it, we're going to do it. Um, would you like to come in tomorrow for a screen test? Because, you know, we'd like to see, you know, how you are. So I did, and in the next day I did the screen test and they offered me my first contract with awesome. the BBC. That was with uh, East Midlands? Yes, yeah, East yeah, Midlands. Amazing. And then I was there for a while, then went to work for BBC Look East in Cambridge, then to Norwich, did a bit of radio, um, current affairs radio, um, and that was in Battersea, London, then went back to doing freelancing. So for a long period of time I was doing radio freelancing mm -hmm. and um, freelance journalism for the BBC and ITV at the same time. I wonder how were those how were those initial documentaries received and stuff, both by the BBC once you delivered them, but perhaps by the wider community as well? Did the community were really appreciative that mm -hmm. somebody had taken the time out to tell their story. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as a black female, I'm not uh, pigeonholed to specific stories that are pertaining to minorities or my race. Um, it was just an untold story that I thought, historically, even when I was talking to colleagues and friends who didn't really understand what the Windrush was all about and what people like my parents had to experience mm -hmm. when they came here, um, you know, you know, if somebody was shouting at me, no, no blacks, no, no dogs, no Irish, mm -hmm. I think I, I, I don't know how I would have handled that. Sure. Um, and the whole experience of, you know, being educated in Jamaica and coming here and their education wasn't valid. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think just the fact that why they're invited here and the whole context, historical context of why Jamaica and the Caribbean was in the state that it was and, and why there wasn't very much work there. And it was it, the structure there economically was just so damaged by that point um, so it was really well received by the community in fact it wasn't just the Jamaican community it was black and white yeah um, because they people say I didn't even well, I know that I, I, I just, yes I, I just didn't I didn't know that thank you mm -hmm. um, so yeah I, I got a real sense of gratification from that because it's the whole point of why I really wanted to get into journalism yeah. in the first yeah. place um, and I was I just felt very blessed that the BBC had given me the opportunity to, to do that um, and then when I went to freelance for ITV we did um, a series on um, a series on uh, the first black footballer who played for England um, Caribbean cuisine um, Chinese culture Asian culture so it was just forced marriage for example that people didn't know about so they're all kind of human interest or historical context stories mm -hmm. that I'm really interested in um, and I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist so I've kind of moved it on since okay. since I first started sure. so yeah and you, I know, obviously, part of that was you were you'd sort of generate the stories and find them. Do you kind of like that? I prefer that. Yes, absolutely. Because you, you know, in every newsroom, you go in in the mornings, and obviously, um, in in the, uh, in the in the early morning meetings that you have, the editorials, you uh, the, you get news from the newswire, from routers, from emails, press releases, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that was fine. And sometimes it was great to get those stories. Um, but I was always the kind of journalist I think that would try and pitch stories that I think I could really execute really well and that would engage people um, and inform people and I was very very lucky and blessed that nine times out of ten my editors allowed me to do that um, uh, and yeah. But you'd obviously proven yourself they don't they wouldn't just let you do that if you hadn't, you know, they won't just let anybody do that. You've, you obviously earned that you, privilege. Like, well, I, I, yeah, maybe. I hadn't looked at it like that. I hadn't looked at it like that. I've, I've always been just focused on, on, on the story and the execution mm. and, 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 you know, doing a, a good job. And what would I want to hear? What would I yeah. want to know about this? 
Um, even when we did the story on, I did uh, I, when I said I want to do something on immigration because this is when uh, you know there was a lot in the press about uh, you know immigrants taking our jobs that they're, they're putting a pressure on the NHS and I was like okay let's try and put this in some kind of context and because I knew quite a few people who'd come here from really harrowing situations you know whether it was Palestine whether it was Pakistan whether it was Syria whatever I, I knew a few people um, and by this point I was working for BBC Look East and I really wanted to do something on immigration. And in that part of the world, it was a real stickler. It was a real issue. Peterborough, there was a huge numbers of, of, of immigrants and, and refugees. So uh, before I pitched the story, I went round to the immigration centres and refugee centres and were looking for case studies of, of uh, immigrants and refugees just to hear their story. Why were they here? What did they escaped from? And what were they doing with their lives in the UK? Mm. And the majority of the people I came across, not only had left harrowing circumstance but they were at college they were doing jobs to support themselves yeah, yeah, at college yeah you know one of the girls I met and I did my feature on her she was an Albanian girl who'd been sold by a mother when she was 11 years old mm. um, and she'd been trafficked to the UK and kept in a house for three years from pillar to post and they forgot to lock the door one night of the room that she they kept her in she was there as a sex slave um, they forgot to lock the door one night. She managed to escape when she was 17, banged on the neighbour's door, police picked her up. She was taken to Oakingham Detention Centre in Cambridge um, and they allowed her to stay. Um, but her story was so harrowing but so moving at the same time. And then she introduced me to other women and men who had been in similar situations or who had really escaped some really traumatic situations. But when she came to the UK, she couldn't speak any English. She's now, she studied, she speaks three languages now, Spanish, English and French she's a lawyer and the point I was making was we don't the, the journalists don't report yeah. on these kind of you know case studies and um, and then the nationals picked it up ITN picked it up um, and BBC National picked it up as, because it's not covered so that I was really proud of that mm. um, so yeah so we'll, we'll move on to, to a little bit more later but that's what kind of inspired me to mm -hmm. set up my own production company and do documentaries and TV drama because mm -hmm. it's just an extension of journalism really and did you how did you enjoy the sort of step to to run your own production company and it, it's oh. you're obviously taking on not only you're sort of thinking of stories and not you've dealing with all sorts of business and tax and all sorts of other things how, how does that suit you the thing is the thing is because I'm a little bit of a uh, I don't even know if I should put this in the public domain but <laughs> I, I creatives don't tend to think about business they mm. tend to think about their creative aspect yeah, yeah. and it's not always a great thing so you really do have to, to pray and have really good strategic partners around you'll say you know your taxes and you, mm. your business because I wasn't I wasn't interested in any of that I've got a bookload of ideas mm. that I wanted to execute um so the transition for me it was more just the risk taking of it to leave something that you've known for so long and although it was kind of relative and it was easy to slip into it there was no surety where you have a salary with this and a production company you only get paid when you have your projects commissioned but I, what I would look how I was looking at it was that when I worked for BBC and ITV I was giving them features so although yes I was getting paid if I did another 40 minutes of that, that would be a documentary, which would still be unpaid. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to be more independent, self-sufficient, and just be have that freedom to do, you know, topics that I was interested in. And it extended to drama because I'm a big conspiracy theorist and okay. I love political drama. So, mm -hmm. um, And I love action. So I kind of 
when I worked as a journalist, I all I started writing scripts um, and having writing synopsis for documentaries and TV dramas. So by the time I decided to set up Trailblazer Seven Productions last year, um, I had a body of work. So I met uh, another um, filmmaker who started out a few years before me, and um, he came on board as my mentor. Um, he worked, he founded Branded G Productions. They got their first documentary on Amazon Prime last year. And they've just finished their first feature film, which I'm doing the publicist. I'm the publicist for, so that's good experience too. Um, and he really gave, really encouraged me to just follow my dream. And you know, we've all got a purpose in life, I believe. Um, and I think all things work together for the next stage. Um, so what I started to do was get focus groups together of different people, different backgrounds, pitch the ideas, and I wanted to see how they responded. I don't want people to show courtesy. I want people to be honest. Is this something that you'd watch? Is this something that you'd engage in? Is this something you'd be interested in? So yeah, so it kind of uh, developed from there. And because it, I suppose it all, as you said, one thing you know that moves on to sure, the next, and sure. it all initially begins with your interest in stories. Absolutely. You, firstly, you're telling them, you know, then you're investigating them, and then obviously now you're dr dramatizing them as well. Yes, exactly. So, so there's the, there's a the documentaries to keep me grounded, and mm. there's the drama. I can add my own little bit of fiction of what I really think is going okay. on. <laughs> <laughs> now we talk, um, well firstly, one thing that caught my eye, you, you were a voiceover artist. Yeah. How did you, how did you enjoy that? Just standing in the booth, <laughs> yeah. reading scripts? Smiling. Oh, yeah, smiling. Yeah. Yeah. I was do you know what you're going to talk about? When you get out, do you just, they, they, they say just, they've got they, a job for you, come on they, in. They say they've got a job for you. When you get there, you have a script mm -hmm. um, and you do a few takes because you don't know, the client has a brief of how they want it. Sometimes right. you have to be really deadpan or serious. Mm -hmm or they want it to be more upbeat yeah. and what radio taught me was and mm -hmm. I say I will say this to my radio students when they come next year in radio you have to smile a lot mm. because it raises your voice your yep. intonation of your voice so um, so working radio really helped with the voiceover stuff so I did adverts I did educational material I did adverts for Vauxhall I did a few um, voiceovers for, for, for TV um, dramas so it was I thoroughly enjoyed it great money for just standing in a booth and just yeah. you know smiling yeah you um, know I mean? just turn up with yourself <laughs> yeah. a coffee yeah yeah good to go. but yeah I really really enjoyed that and where we did most of the voiceover stuff it's a great place in Nottingham called Confetti mm -hmm. Um, it started off as it's spool and confetti and this is England a lot of the voiceovers were done there um, a lot of famous bands record there because they've got state-of-the-art recording studios and stuff so got to meet some great people it's a great creative hub so yeah mm. thoroughly enjoyed that period yeah and after that you, you, you took your first kind of steps in lecturing if I'm right to yeah. say at Nottingham yeah. Trent yes. where you previously studied yes how how did that come about and then how do you find standing on the other side of the classroom right. as opposed to sitting down? Well, a, a colleague of, of mine, Carol Hines, she's a presenter and reporter for the BBC, and Nottingham Trent University had approached her to do to deliver on um, the um, a BA degree programme in media, and uh, some of their modules were journalism-centred. Um, she couldn't do it, so she recommended me and then phoned me and said, I don't know if you've got time to do this, but I've recommended you. And it was only a couple of days a week, um, and I love the subject, so I went in to have an informal interview and they, they offered me the job. Um, and they just said, would you would you be the module coordinator for, for the uh, print journalism? And loved every moment of it I, because I love my craft. I could I could stand and talk about journalism forever and a day. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a great great industry to be in. It's a great job if you are doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I was so blessed and fortunate when I left. Um, the um, head of the faculty, the director of the faculty, for me, he said. I've got some really good news for you. He said, you've just been nominated the most engaging lecturer. So I was like, oh, oh. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I felt really, because I'm passionate about what I do, mm. and I think um, when you've worked in the industry, for me as a lecturer, it's, 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 it, there's an, a little bit of an advantage just because there are certain situations that I've been in, and I'll say to the students, I went to interview um, a, a really well-known politician, um, and it was for, for broadcast news, it was for TV news. And what often happens is if you're going out to get a good interview, radio, BBC will ask you to, to take a recorder and, and record mm-hmm. it for them too. And I was so um, focused on getting my bit done, I forgot to press record when he was doing the interview. And I, they really wanted this for the radio, mm-hmm. for the evening programme. And I thought, oh, damn. Um, <laughs> So he was he was on his way to his car um, and the chauffeur was opening the door, realised I hadn't recorded anything. So I'm running down the corridor of because he came to open a school and running down the corridor, I said, we've had a technical glitch. I am so, so sorry. I'm not expecting you to do the whole interview again, but could you just answer these three questions? Because I had to pick up which were gonna, what would they probably yeah. need the most. Um, and it's things like that that when I can share with students and yeah. you don't just sit there and think, oh, crap. Yeah. Um, just you just have to be try and find a solution yeah and be personable yeah you know so it's little sort of anecdotes like that i've been in loads of different situations when i mm-hmm. first started working as a journalist and i was doing an interview i'd be going i'd be saying mm, 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 and you can't no. you can't speak. so it was just little things that you know that nobody tells you because you don't learn on the courses that you it's trial and error so i just like sharing some of my funny moments with with, with students of, of my experiences the good and the bad yeah. and it gives credibility as well the fact that you've done the job that they are they want to do when, yeah. they, when they graduate. Yeah. But you, you've talked about obviously the, the, it's great to be a journalist. With so many media outlets and stuff, do you think it's easier to be a journalist or is it is it harder to make a living in journalism these days? Or what, what's the pro- Obviously, there are prospects. What, what do you think the prospects are? Where do, you, where do you think it's at at the moment? I think it's, it's a really, really good question. Um, and it's a difficult question to answer because journalism has changed so much. It's just changing every year rapidly. Digital, the, the, the digital platform for journalism, you know, citizen journalism. There's just it's changed so much. In terms of, uh, for, in answer to your first question, I think it is difficult to sustain a mortgage and a family uh, uh, working as a freelance journalist. Uh, so I think that's something that students should be aware of, uh, the struggle. And um, the, one of the other issues I found, even when I was working um, as a freelancer, they're not offering permanent jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's like gold, they're like gold dust. Um, so yes, the platform's changed, they're not offering permanent jobs anymore, and there's far more competition because there's probably triple the amount of graduate journalists now than when I first graduated. And students really do need to be quite switched on and astute when they're studying of getting as much experience as they can and you know, not expecting the university to be their be all and end all um, and, and think outside the box. And that would include getting as much work experience as you can while at university. That would also include considering moving abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know not every university may appreciate me saying this to students, but I'm a realist. You know, you've got Canada and America that are English-speaking countries, and there are others. Uh, if you can do a language as well as doing journalism, I did seminars last week, and I said to the student, one of the students was uh, he's got it doing a degree a degree in um, economics, and I said, great, you'd be a great economics correspondent. And you know, he hadn't thought of 
of doing that. Mm-hmm. And so if you can do whatever is going to add an extra string to your bow. So if you're going to do a journalism degree or a media degree and you're thinking of being a journalist, maybe do a language or do a specialism at postgrad, whether it's international affairs, whether it's an, an economy, whatever it is that's going to put you slightly ahead of the other thousands of journalism students. Mm-hmm. Because you, obviously you, the first thing you studied to scroll back was uh, was social and cultural studies. Yeah. And then obviously, I mean, you're obviously, clearly you had a passion for journalism anyway, so which perhaps puts you ahead maybe of, of someone that would be coming in, but you you, know, you did then a, a postgrad in yeah. print, uh, yeah, print in journalism. Yeah. So yeah. to sort of, so you'd, you almost developed your own specialism in that respect yeah. and then yeah, I, added the journalism. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I went to, um, I, I can't remember his name, if Sophie's listening to this, I do apologise. His name is Brendan, he came, I think, from the Sunday Mail. Tom, one of our, uh, our, our director of journalism, um, he organised a talk with him and I only managed to get the last 15 minutes and he said, you've really got to be passionate about certain things mm-hmm. um, and want to, to get it out there because students were saying, where do you get your stories from? And I thought, wrong question. Mm. You, you, it's not where you get your stories from. It's what you see. It's a, it's just a natural, it's as natural as breathing to the people who really love journalism. And it was quite funny because he had to pause for a long while. I thought that's a really interesting question because you don't get your stories. I could see from a practical level. I mean, when I was studying journalism, they said, when you're sitting in the pub, when you're on the bus, wherever you are, observe and listen. And usually that's where you get your stories from. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, it's a personal thing, granted. And I think some people think that the job is really glamorous. And if you if you look OK, you can present. But you really do have to love um, news stories. You have to really enjoy current affairs. You have to really have something to say. And I had plenty to say, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, right about 2011, uh-huh. you were a PR communications consultant. Yeah. Which, is that almost the opposite of being a journalism because, journalist? Because you, maybe you've got this, you want to tell a story in a specific way. Uh-huh. Um and you have to convince others that that, that story... Or, I, I think, I think yeah, well, I think it's really interesting that a lot of journalists go into PR when they've had enough of journalism, and it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a really hard hard job in terms of the hours, etc. And I accidentally came across this opportunity, to be honest. It was a, uh, somebody that I knew. Um, he did a lot of work with a, with a charity, um, and I was doing other bits and bobs on the side. When I worked as a freelancer, I did do gigs for other people, um, and working as a journalist, if you're going into PR in terms of writing press releases, in terms of your contacts with the media, that's really where you're valuable to PR agencies or people who want you to do consultancy work. So he was involved with the charity, but of course I'm there. So uh, they were doing a particular campaign. He said, could you get on board with doing that? Um, and it was with one of the second, it was the second largest char- charity uh, in the UK. That was one of them I worked for. So I've worked for various, various organisations, not all charities, some corporate. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I kind of fell into that and found that quite easy having worked as a journalist because you're using very similar skills to convince people. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, d- I wouldn't, I don't know if I could do. Um, I love PR, I love um, communications because it all comes under the same umbrella of, as communications and you've got your, you have an opportunity to, to, to relay a story, mm. yeah. And then you, you've moved on, you've become a creative director. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, it was for a, a kind of startup production company. Yeah. 
how did how did you enjoy, how did you enjoy that side? Because because it's there's probably some transferable skills, but some, some also was, some quite new ones. It was it they they'd seen a couple of the features that I'd done um, on the BBC, and um, I when the company was first being started out, I didn't really know anything about it. They'd seen a couple of features that I'd done. And I'd met someone who knew the guys who were setting up this this company, and I was saying I really want to set up my own TV production company, and told them what I'd done. This was years before I'd done it, um, and so they just contacted me one day, invited me in, and they said we want to do we want to develop these programs, and they said would you write us a synopsis and just produce one of these programs for us? Um, so they paid me to do that, and that was to see how I got on, and then they offered me a job. So, uh, but it was it's so funny how things work because doing that job made me realise that I could do this myself as opposed to doing it for somebody yeah. else. They had a lot of money. That was the only difference. Uh, they had a lot <laughs> of money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they had a lot of money. Um, so yeah, so I, I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. You know, um, you know, getting because a lot of their their material, their content, uh, they wanted to shoot abroad, Spain, Italy. So getting permits. Um, translation mm-hmm. um, and speaking to people and getting us freebies so if for example if we were going to do they I can't really tell you too much because I know some of their programs haven't been haven't been um, commissioned yet so for specific uh, places that we're going on locations I'd say you know if we could stay in your hotel for these amount of nights we'll give you a mention in the credits so it was it, little things like that yeah. even the, the, the permits how it works who you have to get in contact with all this has helped me for my own production company um, so that so left there and kind of started decided to kind of get my stuff together, carry on doing a bit more freelancing because um, in between all of this I've always freelanced as a as yeah. a as a journalist. So um, yeah, you always kind of go back to what you love. Of course. Um, so so because you, you've had a mixture of your own Karen Morgan Media, yeah, and obviously Trailblazer Seven. Trailblazer Seven Productions is the production mm-hmm. company, and Karen Morgan Media were people who'd contact me to do PR campaigns for them. So I could kind of do that on the side and get mm-hmm. a little bit of extra money. But I did, I do really enjoy PR and communications because it's, and I, I am quite particular who I do that kind of work for. Right. Um, yeah, it'd be, you're obviously quite. You've obviously got. Um, well, we spoke obviously about your some of the work you've done. You've uh-huh. obviously got. Uh, you know, you've got. A, there's a conscience. Obviously, you've got a good conscience in what it is you're doing. Yeah, I and hope I so. Guess you want to make sure that you marry that up with yes. the people you work with. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm not. I'm quite conscious of. I'm not. You know, we all need money to live, but I'm. I'm very conscious who I affiliate, affiliate myself with. Um, there was one project I was asked to do and uh, without saying too much after we'd had the first three consultations the message that they were trying to get out there um, and it, 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 it was it was it, the, the ethos of it was kind of it, it kind of isolated a certain communicate community and it was really more about segregating this particular community and I didn't agree with it so mm. Um, I, I, I had to I withdrew and I explained why yeah. um, uh, and I think the society that we live in at the moment is really difficult to have integrity but I think uh, for me reputation is key and having integrity and be able to sleep in bed at night and not just think about money um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad quality to have and as I say we're almost back at the, at the present day but the, a move to Scotland well 
apart from its wonderful scenery it's and be, it's great weather. It's absolutely <laughs> stunning here. But, you know, I came here in the summer and we've had an amazing summer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a, you know... I'm a great believer in fate. I believe in God, and I believe that there's a path and a purpose for all of us. And it's a really funny story about this job because when I started uh, Trailblazer Seven Up, I was thinking, okay, what can I do? To because you have to have uh, some stability that will support you if you're setting up your own business. If you don't want to have a loan from the bank, and if you don't have thousands of pounds in a in a business fund, which I didn't, um, I was a freelance journalist for God's sakes. So, <laughs> so. Um, I was trying to decide, do I do PR and comms? Do I go back to lecturing? Do I freelance doing voiceover work? It was all very ambiguous. So my mentor from Branded G Productions, we sat down one day and I said, I'm not really sure what to do. I'm very conscious that I want to have time to do Trailblazer 7, develop the ideas right, have time to go pitch, um, but I need some stability and I have a mortgage. Mm. So uh, he said, just go back into lecturing part time. And I was like, I don't know, because lecturing is never what it says on the tin. I <laughs> so um, I wasn't sure. And he said, but you've done it all, so you'll be fine. Um, so within a week, I decided to join a couple of agencies to get a part-time journalism job and just only do that. No comms, no freelancing. And I didn't ever want there to be a conflict of interest with me having a production company and freelancing for, for a broadcaster. So um, uh, I, within a week, I, I was invited to, to four interviews, um, and then I think, and then I think during this, I saw this job come up at Stirling University, um, part-time uh, lecturer in broadcast journalism. Applied, not knowing where Stirling University was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought yeah. I'd apply. Very rarely do you get part-time journalism lecturing roles. Um, so applied for the job, um, and. Uh, I was invited to interview and, and the rest is, is history. But out of all the four places that I looked at, there was scope for improvement here because at the, the time there wasn't currently a broadcast journalism module at the university. So I thought I could develop something and have some real impact here. But also it's stunning here. It's beautiful here. Yes, people go on about the weather, but I, yeah. I have to say it's one of the most beautiful places that I've lived. Mm -hmm. It does lead to all this nice green countryside. It's beautiful. I mean, I'm, when I'm in my office, I'm seeing bunny rabbits jumping around. Who's, I mean, it's, it's yeah. just awesome. Always still catch us as well. So just to, to sum up, really, imagine someone, you know, you've, you're obviously working with young people, students. Uh -huh. What would you sort of say the key ingredients are to... To, to make it in, in that in your, your chosen career you know job which for you is obviously journalism I think tenacity mm -hmm. determination uh, being true to yourself um, and not listening to that voice in your head that's telling you you can't do it and, and not be afraid be fearless and the more afraid you are the more you push yourself um, and don't give up and don't let anyone tell you you can't do it Karen thank you very much for telling us how you ended up here thanks Jamie that's all for this week. Thanks very much for downloading or streaming this episode. And thanks, of course, to Karen for taking the time to talk to me. You can find out more about Karen's work at karenmorganmedia.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jamie Hill. In the meantime, thanks again for listening. And I'll be back next time with the next episode of How Did You End Up Here?